0: the 2021 Dolphins NFL season, and we have a new star of the show again for this week. Barry Jackson joins caddy of the show, Armando Salguero. Hello, star of the show, Barry Jackson.
1: Hello, Armando. Good to be with you today. It's a training camp and back for another season, which we can only hope will be better than the 20 that have preceded it.
0: So we both saw a practice that went for about two hours. There was no real contact to speak of, no pads. What's the Dolphins' record going to be this year, Barry? (laughs) (laughs) Well, with Xavier Howard, if if he's on the
1: team, I think they can get to nine or ten wins. If he's not, I'm very skeptical. Just because the rest of the AFC, teams that did not make the playoffs last year, led by the Chargers, improved as well. So people can say, well, look what the Dolphins did, adding Will Fuller, adding four of the top 42 picks in the draft. Even if we don't have Howard, we're still going to be very good. I would take issue with that and say that if he's not here, then it's going to be a struggle uh, to be in the race for postseason deep into December. If he is here, though, then I see this as a fringe playoff team, somewhere between the sixth and ten seeds in the conference. Uh, Your initial instinct would be what with this team?
0: My initial instinct is, um, you know, we can talk about Xavier and Howard until we're blue in the face, and we can talk about everything else until we're blue in the face, and that would make us very blue, and, you know, candidates for the blue man group in Las Vegas. <laughs> However, that won't get us to the real reason one way or the other that this team will succeed or fail, and I think we all know who that has to do with, Tua. But before we get to that, I really want it, to – It's Dolphin fans are the best. They are the best. Uh, they are passionate. They are often angry. They are often blind in, in love with certain players. Um, but they get on and off really fast. And it was shocking to me, Barry – how quickly, when Xavier Howard officially requested a trade, I saw a lot of buy Felicia and a lot of you know, you're out of here uh, emojis and no thank you and all this stuff from dolphin fans. He happens to be their best player and they want nothing to do with him uh, now that he wants a trade.
1: Right. That's stunning to me. And as you detailed so well in your piece on Tuesday night on Miami Herald dot com. I believe, and I think you share this belief too based on the tenor of your column and what we've discussed off-air, but I believe that the proposals presented by his agent David Cantor were very reasonable, and you can go over those proposals if you like, but this is not a case of a player holding a team hostage for $25 million more in guaranteed money. And I get what the Dolphins say, that they do not want to create a precedent, but my response to that would be, you cre- it's okay if you create a precedent with a player who is A, your best player, and B, coming off in historical season like Xavier Howard had. So if they relent and acquiesce to Xavier Howard's request for more guaranteed money or a slightly restructured contract, I don't think they have to worry about setting a precedent for their number two tight end or their third-string guard, or their starting linebacker who's decent in the future. We're talking about their best player and one who had the most interceptions in the league last year and was an all-pro. So to me, I throw the precedent thing out the window. If I were them, I would appease the player, try to get this fixed so it's a happy player and a happy locker room, and do what is necessary to make Xavier and Howard happy. And as you'll talk about in detailing what David Cannor asked for, I don't think it's unreasonable.
0: Yeah. Um let let me address the precedent thing because it, it it's it's a it's a lot of hooey, this precedent stuff. You know, uh the Dolphins, one of the reasons that they say that they have not done this as of yet, and I believe that eventually it will happen in some form or fashion. But as of yet, it has not happened. As of this recording, is that they're worried that once you sign a contract, that's that's a contract, and you're you're held to it. And you know, they are, it's an agreement, it's a blood bond. <laughs> you gotta hold on, and we're gonna live with you, and you're gonna live with us. Except that that's not the NFL. None of these are fully guaranteed contracts, the Dolphins themselves, even as they're arguing to Xavier Howard and David Cantor, his agent, that they don't want to set a precedent about uh, switching money around and changing the numbers in a current contract, did exactly that with Bernardrick McKinney. The only difference is instead of moving money up and giving him more this year, what they did with McKinney is they gave him a pay cut. So in other words, it's okay to go into a contract that is in effect and everybody has agreed to and give the guy a pay cut, but it's not okay if you're the team to go into a contract and move money around from the back end to the front end to give a guy a raise. That we won't be doing. But the other thing, yeah, we can do that. That That's fine. It's ridiculous, Barry. I agree. And to me,
1: any trade scenario would be counterproductive and kind of outrageous, except for one. I'm going to present this to you just to get your thoughts I would take issue with any potential Xavier and Howard trade, Howard trade unless they held on to him into the start of the season, and if Deshaun Watson hasn't been traded before the start of the regular season, just to see how Tua plays in the first five or six games. I could then make the case that if Tua is mediocre or struggling through six games, maybe eight games, uh, although that would go past the trade deadline, so let's say six games. And if Watson is still available, I could make the case at that point of flipping Howard for a number one pick and something else. The Dolphins obviously would want something beyond a number one pick, using that pick with your other picks to send to Houston in exchange for Watson. Now that's going on the thinking that Houston in a rebuilding program probably would not want Xavier Howard, even though he's a top flight corner, even though he's from the Houston area. So that would be the one scenario that I could potentially justify trading Howard for. But I could not justify trading him now for a first – and a third and a mediocre starting corner because you make your team worse now. And as you and I both know, there's no assurance that the first-round pick is going to be a great player. Look what they did with Minka Fitzpatrick. They got a player in Austin Jackson who could be a good player, but I don't think anyone's going to sit here and tell you that Austin Jackson is going to be a Pro Bowl player like Minka Fitzpatrick has become. So that would be the only scenario in my mind that I could justify trading Zavian Howard. Uh, there was a discussion among some media – Uh, today about whether the Dolphins should make a trade, if presented to them, of Xavier Howard and two number ones for Watson. At this point, I would not do it because I still think that you have to see what Tua is. You know the guy who played so well at Arizona – and the guy who played really well for half against Kansas City, that player is in Tua. The question is whether that is who he is the majority of the time or whether that's who he is a small sample of the time. I want to know that answer before I trade Howard and two number ones to Houston for Watson. So if the Dolphins could hold off and if Watson isn't dealt elsewhere – during training camp or early September, that would be the scenario I would like to see. Give two of the six games, if he's struggling at that point, then flip Howard for number one and trade that one and other ones to Houston for Watson. Am I crazy in saying this, do you think?
0: You're not crazy except for a couple of small things. Number one, look, if Houston is trading Deshaun Watson, they don't want Xavier and Howard. They just don't. Xavier Howard is 28 years old, and he makes a lot of money, and the Houston Texans without Deshaun Watson are a triple-A team. Last year with Deshaun Watson, they were a triple-A team. They're a really bad team. What they want in exchange is draft picks, draft picks, draft picks, draft picks in 4 years when the when the Houston rebuild program or in 3 years when the Houston rebuild program is nearing completion if it ever goes in that direction by the way Xavier Howard's going to be 31 years old and out of contract why would the Houston Texans want Xavier Howard the only value Xavier Howard has today in today's NFL As the best corner in the NFL, the most productive, the interception leader, is to a team that fancies itself a Super Bowl contender were it not for a lockdown corner. That's not the Houston Texans.
1: Right. I agree with that. And that's why I would flip him to a different team, not Houston, to get a number one pick if you're sitting there in October and Tua has been ineffective and Watson hasn't been traded. So my thinking was you don't send send Howard to Houston. I agree with you. Houston has no use for him. You send him to a team like Arizona for a first and two thirds and then use that first along with San Francisco's first that you own and your own first to get Watson in mid-October if Watson hasn't been traded and if Tua is not very very good the first month of the season. So I'm on the same page with, with you about that. I don't think either of us see Houston
0: wanting Xavier Howard. Right. Houston wants uh, you know draft picks, and the team that really, frankly, has the most right away is Philadelphia. And the reason they have the most right now is because the Dolphins flipped them a number one pick next year. So now they have two next year. So thank you very much, Miami Dolphins, say the Philadelphia Eagles. Having said that, um you mentioned Arizona. Arizona is a is a viable team. They have a a, a similarly unhappy player in Chandler Jones, the defensive end. I don't know, man. <laughs> if you can't have a great cornerback, the next best thing is to have a great pass rush, and Chandler Jones has throughout his, you know, throughout his career provided that. He does have a certain uh, history with the New England Patriots. Hmm. Who else has a history with the New England Patriots in his past? Uh, oh, yeah, Brian Flores. Who else has a history with the defense of the New England Patriots in his past? Oh, yeah, Brian Flores. Hmm. Who has shown a desire and uh, a bent for adding former New England Patriots to to his current roster. Oh yeah. Brian Flores. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Thank you. I'm done. (laughs)
1: Well, I I would say it's an interesting option, especially if Arizona gives you a number one and Chandler Jones. But they're not gonna do that. Right. And also he's thirty one. So Xavier is three years younger Jones last year coming off the torn biceps that uh, placed him on injured reserve in mid-October, so you're just not sure at 31 how much he has left. I like the idea. I don't love the idea. I probably would not do it.
0: Well, uh, I probably would not do it either, but I'm saying it's a viable scenario in that both players want out of where they're at. Both players want different contracts. Uh, both players have injury questions. The Dolphins, what, what, one of the things that was very interesting to me about this whole Dolphins scenario is how worried the Dolphins are about Xavier Howard's injury history and his chances of staying healthy in the future. The re, They don't want to give him. Look, one of the things that David Cantor asked for was, Give us $4 million from the $12 million you have to pay him in 2024, which is the last year of his contract. Put that up now. Save salary cap space because you're adding guaranteed money and we're good. All is well. And to next year, you know, you can, you can go ahead and trade them or do whatever you want with them and it, it will be a lot better for everybody involved. The Dolphins, at least to this point, haven't wanted to do that because they don't want they don't want to feel like they are guaranteeing Xavier Howard's health. They, they but it's a they, valid concern. Yeah, it is a valid concern, but to that degree, to the degree that the narrative today on the first day of training camp was, is Xavier Howard unhappy? Is Xavier Howard going to practice? How is Xavier Howard going to deal with chemistry inside the Dolphins locker room? Is Byron Jones upset at Xavier Howard because Xavier Howard resents that Byron Jones makes more money and, and covers the, the inferior players as he said in his, in his statement? Uh, all that stuff could have been erased were it not for $4 million and the Dolphins thought it, uh, a good trade-off to risk all of that versus Xavier Howard injury history. So, it's
1: dumbfounding to me. And I'd make this point too. You, you raise the point about four million guaranteed. You get to four million guaranteed with the amount they gave Sethan Carter in H-back, who was given two point three million guaranteed, who will probably make the team because he was their first free-agent signing, but isn't you know a lock. They gave $1.5 million guaranteed in a contract extension last year to Adam Shaheen, who to me is borderline to make the team. He probably will make it, but he's not an essential component after drafting Hunter Long. So that right there is $3.7 million guaranteed to fringe roster guys. That's all Xavier Howard, your best player, is asking for. So to me, an additional $4 million guaranteed is nothing when you look at the guaranteed money they've given other guys who are fringe roster guys. And the other thing is, this was so avoidable, if they had merely pursued a corner who was not going to command a contract higher than Xavier Howard, and there were other good ones available last offseason, speaking of uh, March of 2020, they could have pursued Kendall Fuller, they could have pursued Logan Ryan, there were other corners they could have gotten in the four-year $40 million range, and that's no disrespect to Byron Jones, who's a good player and a first-class citizen. But this could have easily been avoided if they had spent less money at the other corner position because then there wouldn't be the jealousy anger animosity coming from Xavier
0: and Howard here's the thing that's most troubling to me about this whole deal is the not seeing the forest from the trees and operating in kind of a vacuum by the dolphins team building. Involves people, involves egos, involves, you know, dealing with men who are alpha males and don't like to ever lose at anything. I I remember a story where, you know, Jason Taylor would get into, uh, you know, Monopoly or Checker games or whatever. And if he wasn't winning, he was tossing that game 10 10 feet across the the room. That's how he reacted to losing one of those stupid games. These people like to win at everything. And so for the Dolphins to be running a business with those kind of people and to not see the obvious juxtaposition of we have one of the best corners in the NFL and we're paying some guy one year later nearly twice as much in fully guaranteed money, and he's not as good. Is that going to have any repercussions? They didn't see that at all as a possibility. They were totally blind to that possibility. And honestly, that's just every that just isn't, isn't the NFL, dude. I mean, you know, look at every business. People want to make sure that they are valued, and that the next guy who's hired who has less experience and is in a similar but not a superior position, doesn't get more money than him. No, I mean, that's just normal.
1: No question. And also, you could structure the Xavian restructure in a way where you actually lower his cap at this year if you reduce the base salary and turn it into a roster bonus that would be prorated. So instead of sitting there with $8.5 million in cap space, you could create another three or four million in cap space and make Xavier happy by guaranteeing him more money just by the simple execution of a contract which would take an hour or so. Here's my question to you. No one knows more about Dolphins history than you. If this had happened during the H. Wayne Huizenga era, would H. Wayne Hyzenga who was an excellent businessman in terms of closing deals, and that's not to disparage Steve Ross, who's also been an immensely successful businessman, but would H. Wayne Hyzenga have called his people and said, we really should work this out because he's our best player. It seems like a reasonable request. This would seem pretty easy to solve and make our
0: only elite player happy. Yeah, that's – I don't know. I, look – I don't think Steve Ross is the is the reason that this is going on. Steve Ross, you know, his his wallet is wide open to anyone on the Dolphins' uh front office. He's willing to pay whatever to whomever to make the team better. That it's not this doesn't go up to Steve Ross, I don't think. This goes but up to But should it? Should it? Uh, look at some point, Steve Ross is paying Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and the committee of people that include Brandon Shore a lot of money, all of them, to make wise decisions, including business decisions, that will drive the locker room, the team, uh, you know, and the staff towards, you know, success. And in this instance, I don't think that they're – pointed in the right direction, and there it's not 2019 anymore, Barry. In 2019, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, pitched a fit, and the solution is simple. You're out of here, Minka. In 2021, when a player pitches a fit, you, you get rid of them. You have made your team worse, and now all of a sudden your playoff chances are worse, In 2019, you made your team better, and people were applaud – excuse me, made your team worse. People were applauding because that gave you more of a chance to get a higher draft pick. It's two different scenarios. Uh, These guys need to win. They need to win now, and getting rid of Xavier and Howard is bad. Before we go to break, Barry, predict for me where – This all ends up, and then we'll move on to something else on the other side of the break.
1: Well, my fear is that the Dolphins will do what they did with Minka and Kiko Alonso, obviously not nearly as good a player as Xavier is, and acquiesce to the players' demand just because I feel like, like many coaches and personnel men and executives in sports, they don't want a player with them who doesn't want to be there. I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope they work it out and keep him. My sense is that he's probably around for the opener, but... I could easily see it being tra- in being traded. Not to walk the fence on this, but because of the Dolphins' history of trading unhappy players, it's easy to envision a trade. You just hope it doesn't happen. You hope they come to their senses and realize our chances of winning this year are considerably less if we trade him only for future assets.
0: That is the craziness of of all of this. The team that doesn't want to set a precedent has already set precedents in trading. You know. Unhappy players, and so they are you know dealing with that. Here's what I think I think that by the end of next week, before they go to Chicago, I think this will be resolved, and I think that Xavier Howard will have some sort of uh more money in his pocket this year. That's what I think. I Thank think you. that they need to make this go away, and they would be wise to make this go away. They would have been wise to make it go away before now. I just you know, whatever i I just don't understand. Um, I don't understand. I'm just I'm going to spend the entire break here trying to understand, and it might not happen for me, but we'll be back on the other side of this break. star of the show, Barry Jackson, Barry, we've reached a part of the show, your show, that we're not talking about Xavier and Howard anymore. What do you think about that? I love it. It's time to move on to other topics. It's time to move on to the other 89 guys, you think? <laughs> or, or I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe the other 89 guys deserve a mention. Um, so here's my question to you relative to the other 89 guys, right? Um, what did you think on the first day, your first viewing of this Dolphins, newfangled, high-powered, air Godsey, you know, Eric Stoodsville offense. What did you think of that that whole unit? Well, I had a few takeaways. One was I found it
1: interesting that Tua said that Godsey and Stoodsville are alternating as play callers. Now – That's perfectly fine during training camp practices, but I do hope that once games start, one or the other is going to be calling plays. You're not going to have a situation where one coordinator calls plays for one series and the next calls plays for the next. That, to me, would be highly foolish. Dennis Erickson, who's done that before, the former UM coach, former Seattle Seahawks coach, he told me, uh, as a guy who's been a play caller and head coach at the same time, and a guy who's been a co-offensive coordinator with someone else in Utah, he said Flores has to decide between the two of them as far as who's calling plays. You can't have a change week to week. You can't have a change from one series to the next or one half to, to the next. So I thought that was interesting. As far as players, two things stuck out to me. Now, we are not permitted by the team to say who's with the first team and who's with the second team until Saturday, which is the first day fans can attend. But let me just say this. Michael Dieter has risen from total obscurity and irrelevance last year when he played 23 snaps to having a very real chance to be this team's starting center. He's at least even with Matt Skura. You could make the case that he's ahead of him based on what we've seen that we can't talk about. Uh, But... Uh, This guy rising to prominence again is very interesting. Now, he played center his first two years at Wisconsin. We know he's smart. He's a tough guy. The question is, can he be at least a serviceable center like Karras and Kilgore were? Can he be something more than that? So I think his rise from a guy who was a starter at guard his rookie season to a complete non-factor last year to now being very much in the mix to be in their starting offensive line is interesting. And my one other takeaway today, Armando, was Albert Wilson. This is a guy who looks very much like the guy that Adam Gase wanted, who was very productive in 2018, obviously then had the hip issue, uh, which diminished him in 2019, battled the hamstring that year. He said his speed and shiftiness – is night and day now compared to what it was in 2019 when he was dealing with those issues. Obviously, he opted out last year. If Wilson can be what Gase envisioned and what he was in his first season with the Dolphins here, then you have an interesting weapon because then you combine his speed with Waddles and Fuller's, and this offense suddenly becomes dynamic, potentially.
0: Absolutely dynamic, and I'm rooting for the guy. You know, I just... I like him. <laughs> I think he's I think he's not just a baller. I think there are certain guys that walk around with a with with a it factor about them and they're not afraid of anything and he's one of those guys. There are some guys that are you know, they're football players and they play a violent sport but they're they play they, they they're not they're scared. They're And this guy is not afraid of anything. He, he goes into the lion's den without any fear. So, so there's that. And I'm, I'm rooting for him personally. Relative to the multiple offensive coordinators, I think what's going on there, Barry, is, you know, we are still in a, in a COVID environment type of situation. And I think it's actually smart for the Dolphins to allow both Godsey and, Eric Studesville, to get some reps uh, calling plays. But you are absolutely right. Once we get into actual games, the last thing I ever want to see is, you know, one guy calls a first down, the next guy calls a second down, the next guy calls a third down, the next guy, or they go series to series because by definition, offense is a rhythmic type of thing. And often good offenses get into a rhythm. It's impossible to get into a rhythm with two different mindsets. And no matter how much those guys say that they are in uh, on the same wavelength, they're two different people. They, they can't be thinking alike all the time they, because they're two different people. It's just impossible. So I think that the Dolphins will realize that and not go that direction uh i just think now they're just getting their their repetitions in just like you and i are getting our you know strong verb repetitions in during <laughs> during training camp <laughs> um anyway so i don't want to break down the roster i don't want to do that Barry but it you mentioned it before so why not the the tight end's room to me is fascinating. Uh and it's fascinating because uh you've got who's the complete guy in there? Who's the who's the who's the man?
1: You know, I found it interesting that Scott Pioli said after the Dolphins drafted Hunter Long that not only is he comp- a complete tight end, but he has Pro Bowl potential. And you just wonder if the fact that the Dolphins see maybe not Pro Bowl potential, but potential in having a complete tight end has factored into them not giving Gasecki the type of extension that they gave Jason T- Sanders, the one they gave Jerome Baker several weeks ago, you just wonder if they're waiting to see if they have a complete tight end on the roster where they can play the guy and not telegraph if they're going to pass or if they're going to run. Because obviously when you play Gusecki now, opposing teams think pass. And more often than not, it is. And when you play Durham Durham Smythe, opposing teams think run. So to me, his evolution is going to be fascinating. What exactly do they have with him? And the other thing is, Can you afford to keep five tight ends? What teams keep five tight ends? I know the Patriots value them, and obviously Flores has uh, implemented a lot of theories that he learned from being around Bill Belichick. But can you realistically keep Gasecki, Smythe, Hunter Long, and Seathan Carter? I guess you could make the case Carter is more of an H-back type, so maybe you could list him with the running backs. He could also play fullback. But that's an awfully high number to me uh you read this room how and I'm curious would you do an extension now with Gasecki, or wait knowing you could franchise him next year if he has a good year uh in the nine to ten million range
0: yeah so the Dolphins have seven guys right now who are tight ends right and you know I love I excuse me yes absolutely seven seven guys so you know that I love tight ends. Uh, you know that tight ends catch touchdown passes in the red zone. I, I've um, heard that from from an Armando Salguero fellow, yes. Yes. And so if they want to keep 7 or 17, I'm fine with it. I love tight ends. But having said that, uh, I'm also fine with them not paying Mike Yosecki yet. I'm also fine with them not paying Durham Smythe yet. Um, you know, Durham Smite, God bless him. He's he's done a lot with not a lot. He's a solid yeoman, solid, good citizen, solid, okay tight end. Uh but he's there's nobody that's going to mistake him for someone who should be getting a lot of snaps in the NFL. It'd be great if Durham Smythe was a great snapper, <laughs> put it that way, where right. he could be both, the the snapper and the number three tight end or whatever it is, or if you have to be the number four tight end. Um, I don't see Durham Smythe making this team. It's going to be very interesting to me if he does, because if he does, that means Adam Shaheen, who they paid last year, isn't making it. Or Seathan Carter, who they paid this off season, isn't making it. Uh, we know that Gesicki is making it and Hunter Long is making it. So somebody's got to go. It, you can't have, you know, the, the Salguero 17 tight ends. You just can't. Um, and and an receiver I see numbers. It's
1: the odd man out. No question. You can't keep five tight ends and six or seven receivers in all likelihood because the numbers don't work. And a strong case could be made to keep six or seven receivers because you're without Will Fuller for the opener because of suspension, because you have quality depth at that position, because Preston Williams is coming off foot surgery in November. You're not 100% certain he'll be ready for the opener. Devontae Parker's dealing with something that I was told is not serious, but it is an injury issue. So if you keep six or at most seven receivers, Receivers, which is an awfully high number, then there's no way you can keep five tight ends. And in that scenario, I agree with you. Both Smythe and potentially Shaheen could be at risk. I just don't see them cutting Seath Carter because he can also do the H-back fullback role. And after all, he was their first signing in free agency, oddly enough, this March.
0: Yes, and we all know that when the Dolphins sign a free agent, they really want to make that into a long-term situation. They don't change their mind about free agents at all do they not not until nine months later that until, <laughs> not until the the old uh Turk comes a calling can we have your playbook please and you're on your way out or on your way back to New England it's it's a beautiful thing question for you did you look at all to see what Jacoby Brissett did today were you impressed unimpressed what's the deal Yes, I was. He delivered a couple of really nice throws. He had a dart to Alan
1: Hearns in traffic. I think that's a decision that they nailed this offseason. I think as backup quarterbacks go smart, reliable, consistent, someone who's not going to rock the boat, he's not going to make noise and say, I want to compete with Tua, I think that was a very, very solid signing. And the question to me is, God forbid if this happens, is there any point this year where Tua struggles and the question of should you play Brissett become a thing? That would be the worst possible thing which would happen. And I say that even after telling you that Jacoby Brissett was a great signing, and that's no reflection on Brissett, but merely what it would say about Tua if we ever get to that point. So I think they nailed it with that signing. He's comparable to Fitzpatrick. They have very similar career passer ratings. And he was probably the best available option for them, knowing that Fitzpatrick was not returning and he was going to get a starting opportunity elsewhere.
0: Yeah, you know, you bring up a very interesting point. And I also like the Brissett signing. I, I, I've liked Jacoby Brissett for a long time. Um, if this year at any point involves Brian Flores telling reporters we made a switch because we needed a spark. And that conversation is about the quarterback position. We have a disaster on our hands. No doubt. Uh, or the Dolphins have a disaster on their hands, which they, you know, means we have a disaster on our hands because we got to cover it. Uh, that, that, that whole uh, path that was walked in 2020 cannot be retread upon this year under any circumstance other than, God forbid, knock on wood, injury. Because if at any point, you know, Tua is not good enough to finish a game that he started, I'm going to pull my hair out.
1: Right, and then it becomes clear you don't have your future quarterback, right? I mean, if we're in this boat in year two where Flores contemplates replacing him in the second half of games because of ineffectiveness, then you have your answer about whether they have
0: their guy long-term, and the answer transparently will be no at that point, right? It will be no, and somebody will have to answer for that whole shebang because we're starting to get to that time of year or rather that time of, um, not time of year, that time in the growth of the franchise where people aren't given free passes anymore. There, there's no mulligans this year, as you know. Uh, you know, 2019, yeah, let's tank. You know, we're losing. All right, higher drop picks. Fine. Last year, spent $150 million in guaranteed money, a franchise record. Didn't go to the playoffs. Okay, but they won ten games. That's really good. They're in the right. They're on the right direction. Everything's all right. We're on track. Never mind that they lost the season finale by thirty points. This year, no excuse. There's no excuse. You got to make the playoffs. There's no excuse. Yeah, I'm with you. And I guess
1: knowing obviously so much rides on Tua. I'll ask you because I'm curious, I haven't asked you this off the air either. What is your opinion on this? Again, this was a topic bandied about by media today in a discussion I was in with a couple of other reporters. If Houston comes to you now and says, we will give you Watson for three number ones, the two that you own that belong to San Francisco the next two years, plus your own, in uh, 2023, obviously, Philadelphia owns Miami's first rounder in 2022. Is that something you do now with the uncertainty of Watson with the civil lawsuits, the possible NFL suspension, potential criminal charges? Or do you want to see what Tua is for a significant sample size this season before you do that?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Tua Tagovailoa. OK, I mean. The reason that Deshaun Watson is even a thing in trade is two reasons twofold. One, he doesn't want to be in Houston, big deal, you know, that doesn't matter to anybody because what players want or don't want isn't what matters. Aaron Rodgers is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. He wanted out of Green Bay, and guess what? He's playing in Green Bay. Russell Wilson wanted out of Seattle, and guess what? He's playing in Seattle. So Tom Brady wanted out of New England for a long time, and he had to negotiate his way out. So what players necessarily want doesn't is not something that they get, Xavier and Howard included. The reason that Houston is now willing to move on is because of the whole, you know, the 22... Uh, women who are alleging things about Watson and the 10 more who are talking to the police and the potential lawsuits and all of that. That's the reason that the Houston Texans have relented on the idea of trading Deshaun Watson, not because he's wanted out or he's not good. He's good and nobody cares whether he wants out or not. The the legal issue is the problem. So the real question, Barry, is do you trade three first-round draft picks for an enormous legal issue? That's what you're really asking.
1: Right. You could make the case so. I would lean against it until knowing what Tua is. If Watson is still on Houston's roster in mid-October and if Tua struggles for six weeks – I would then have more of a comfort doing it. And also, you would hope at that point to have more clarity on whether he's going to be suspended, whether criminal charges will be filed, etc. If you had to make that call now, though, if Nick Casario calls Chris Greer, you're suddenly Chris Greer, you're GM Mondo, and you are told we will give you Deshaun Watson now with all of the uncertainty for three future number ones, your answer is what?
0: My answer is I am GM Mondo. Get <laughs> some faith to you, Mondo. Get it right, Nick Casario. Um, and my second answer is, oh, well, I lose out because I, you know, the guy that preceded me gave up a first-round pick <laughs> to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're not going to think about whether they want certainty on their starter right now. They're not worried about that. They didn't draft their starter right now with the number five overall pick. Uh, So they're going to be comfortable doing it immediately, and their two first-round picks come earlier than Miami's two first-round picks. Advantage Philadelphia Eagles. Right, plus the Wentz pick, the second-rounder, will
1: morph into a first for Philadelphia if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps or some other stipulations are met.
0: Correct. So, look, it's it's advantage Philadelphia Eagles – They're, they're, they're in a good pole position. If this is going to happen, I would say they have to be the favorite. Uh, Denver is laying in wait somewhere. If you're, if the Dolphins are indeed, as you said, uh, you would do, waiting to see if Tua is a thing or not, they're going to be, you know, bringing up the rear of that whole train. Uh, that train is leaving the station without answers. That's my – I guess that's what I'm saying. Sure. Philadelphia won't have answers on whether Deshaun Watson will even be able to avoid suspension this year or jail time, for that matter. Uh, and they're not waiting for – is our quarterback a good player or not? They're not waiting for that. They're, move, they're not waiting for that. And the Dolphins – like you said, they might be waiting for that.
1: No question. I, I would have pulled the trigger on the three number ones if not for the legal issues. But to me, uh, not knowing if he's going to be charged criminally, not knowing the length of a potential NFL suspension would make me trepidatious with three number ones, unless unless you see with your own eyes in September and early October that two is not good enough. Gotcha.
0: Well, you've used a, a huge, huge SAT word, trepidatious, and I think that uh, is, is kind of like the alarm bell to me to get out of here, because when I have to start looking up words that you use, um, I got to go. And so we appreciate you joining us this week on the Dolphins In-Depth podcast. We are here with you every week, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a new um, contributor. I don't know yet if he's going to be the star of the show or not. I don't make these decisions. I, I just work here. I am the caddy. And, Barry, as always, it was, it was my pleasure carrying your bags today, sir. Thanks, Armando. Fun being with you, as always. I'll see you at camp tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us.